0: Leslie Nielsen, Lisa Suits, Mountains of Cocaine, and Dozens of Sad Orphans. That can only mean one thing. It's Viva Knievel today on Cinema Oblivia. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivio, your podcast for discussions on movies that are out of fashion, out of style, out of date, forgotten, unremembered, or otherwise unknown, or whatever. I'm your host, James Eldred. Who do I got back for another episode today?
1: Elliot Long, calling in from uh, New Jersey.
0: Yeah, Jersey this time. Are you per- now permanently in New Jersey? Nah. I'm. No? Always,
1: you know, I feel like it's funny because, like, our... Our other show, uh, Alexander's Ragtime Band, like the episodes are so spread out, it's like every episode I'm in a different state, the from where I'm calling from,
0: and most but importantly, no. a different time zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes scheduling somewhat tricky. Yes, yeah. sometimes you're in Oregon. Yes, uh, Elliot is a compatriot of mine on Alexander's Ragtime Band, a podcast that we on with host Jeremy Parrish. Although I did host one episode where we talk about everyone's favorite progressive rock music,
1: yeah, the most popular genre.
0: Yes, because you know I have a I have a a, a, a movie podcast dedicated to films no one has heard of, and a movie and a music podcast dedicated to music that nobody likes in twenty twenty one. And I wonder why I'm just not <laughs> more popular. I just why I know <laughs> it's so strange. Let's give you know I think let's just use this time here. To kind of like give people a taste of the old uh Vine Time, um the old ARB. What what have you been listening to lately in, in the progressive rock world? Uh in the progressive rock keep world. This to like two minutes, everyone, I promise. Don't worry. Uh,
1: I don't actually, honest to God, I I haven't been listening to a lot of progressive rock lately. Oh no. I've been getting really weird, man. I'm I've been getting, getting? really weird. Like, I've been. I've been listening to because like I'm working on an easy listening album. Don't ask me why; it's so stupid. But now
0: when you say easy listening, what is that? What is what is your definition of easy? Like because if I hear easy listening, I think like Richard Marks.
1: I think of like uh, Burt Bacharach or okay, like
0: okay, ha- right. uh, so you vintage know, easy listening, Herb
1: Alpert, and okay. the Tijuana Brass, and that kind of thing. Um, really like light jazz from the lounge, '60s. Yeah, lounge yeah, music. Exactly, lounge all right. music. And I've dived deep into the genre of exotica. And actually this is kind of like, this is kind of, I feel like, you know, this is like a predecessor to progressive rock where it's like this kind of strange, it's a bunch of like old white people trying to (laughs) portray, uh, you know, Pacific Island countries in music. And it's really strange, such Uh, a weird thing.
0: I would not be surprised if there were like progressive rock musicians who were assessing guys on Exotica albums from the sixties. You know that would not totally like. Yeah. like someone dig up Rick Wakeman's like aliases and see what he did. Who knows? Yeah. But.
1: Well, <laughs> the other day I I posted on Twitter about uh, a a mog, a mog album done mm-hmm. by uh, an Exotica artist. Oh, Dick Hyman. Yeah, and not that he was like super Exotica, but he was kind of in that genre and. So like I guess that's kind of, you know, anything with synthesizers can be somewhat prog related. And um another one I listened to him from him from the early sixties, it was called like the m- going to the moon or something like yeah. that. And I, I know I messed that up, but it's from like nineteen sixty-three, and I could see how that was very much like a predecessor to progressive rock.
0: Well, Dick Hyman, who by the way is still alive. So don't you think? Yeah, use that that's not also, Dick Hyman is the best name.
1: <laughs> I know. I just like <laughs> what's funny is I just put two and two together there as you said it.
0: Yeah, it's 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 good. But no, uh, Moog the electric el- the electric eclectic's. That's one of the first albums I bought on vinyl when I was getting into vinyl. That album's fantastic, and if anybody out there does have an interest in electronic music like that album's amazing. I think Emma Smith and Palmer kind of interpolated Minotaur. Okay. Yeah, own, I can well, see yes, that in their own recordings, and um, yeah, no, no, that album's fantastic. You should listen to. Um, oh God, you got, you caught me off guard. I have so much of that shit. After we'll we'll talk later of like yeah the for early sure. Moog. Kind, oh, oh oh, also his follow up album, the Age of Electronicus. Okay, I'll have to check. And that you should out. check out if you can find Mort Garson's albums, especially his his album. I'm familiar
1: with Plantasia. That's Plantasia's the one I great.
0: know. And also, used to try to find his. This, this one's not on CD. His uh, all covers album of the music from Hair, which oh, has I think
1: I've seen that
0: one of the greatest covers of all time. Um, everyone just type in Mort Garson Hair, it's pretty good. But no, yeah, I could go off on that shit forever. I've been listening to Hawkwind side projects because I'm cool. I found a band called Harkestral, which is one of the guys from Hawkwind. I forgot what Alan or uh, I'll have to look it up now. Now I'm an idiot.
1: Yeah, if you if you can remember members of Hawkwind
0: that, that, that aren't Aunt Lemmy, Lemmy
1: yeah. <laughs> off the top of your head. Well, like, I can do. There's Nick a Turner. whole other underlying problem going. I can on do. Here.
0: I can do. his okay. Hawkwind is the top of my head. Nick Turner, um, Brock because he's the main guy, uh, Lemmy, and uh Ginger Baker is on one Hawkwind album, and um tim blake there you go because tim blake was in hawkwind ending gong so it was like, like an overlap for me but no i've been listening to yeah hawker by alan davey alan davey was it was the bass player for hawkwind in the 80s if you like hawkwind both of you i recommend Hawkestrel's <laughs> album pioneer the space it's really good and he has an album called Premed, which is basically his other band Premed med repackers that's Hawkistrol. it's three cds <laughs> so a bit mutt. it's like that it's like the prince's emancipation of space rock but
1: how long are those cds if you edit out space sound effects that's what like i want to know like one
0: minute I don't know. Um, they're all good. Like I like them. It's good writing music because it has that Hawkwind groove and like yeah, you know, it's good stuff. But we're, we should probably cut off the prog talk now.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, everybody.
0: It's okay. Know. If you if anyone's interested more, oh that that album has that 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 album has songs like um, medication, man eggs from Mars, the God Particle, Einstein's Day Off. You know, just to give you an, the what has the world gone insane the so names just
1: check out for me
0: the crowning <laughs> of the acid king you know so there you go but anyway let's stop that if you all want to hear more about progressive rock music alexander's ragtime band just google you know alexander's ragtime band podcast you'll find it you can listen to us go on like this for all days but instead of talking about music no one listens to let's talk about a movie no one's seen <laughs> or should see Or <laughs> should see this one's my fault oh. usually i uh, have the guests pick a movie but you know, I, as as people who follow, me might know, I've been kind of behind schedule because of personal stuff, and I need to catch up. So I was like, "Hey, Elliot, I want to talk about this movie." So I apologize. I owe you two dollars for renting it.
1: No, um, no, it's it's funny because my girlfriend was like, "Should we just buy it? It's only six dollars." I'm like, something <laughs> tells me I'm never going to watch this again.
0: Yes, the and movie I'm that. Glad. <laughs> yes, the movie that Elliot will never watch again is Viva Knievel, the 1977. Bio, not really a biopic, this movie about Evil Knievel starring Evil Knievel.
1: This is like a court mandated movie to make it seem like he wasn't a bad person. It had to be. Evil
0: Knievel was an interesting person. I don't know. I mean, we'll talk about that. But yeah, like, so I'm sure, have you, before I thrust this movie upon you, have you ever heard of it?
1: No surprise no. and maybe i mean i remember i know just like in casual viewing i've watched a handful of evil knievel documentaries including the 2015 one and i feel like they should have mentioned it there and maybe they did and i just don't I, remember
0: I, I highly doubt it you know because like as we'll talk this movie just bombed and it's it's funny it's not even the first evil knievel like biopic but it's the first one starring him there's a one in the early 70s that I think is just called Evil Knievel. It's about George Hamilton as Evil Knievel, which is
1: Oh my
0: God. He hated that movie apparently that Evil Knievel did. I don't know. I don't know George Hamilton's feelings. I did not watch that because that's a little bit harder to find. And I think the only copies online are like look like tape dubs. And it's like I can only subject myself to so much Knievel. Yeah. This movie came out in 1977. Evil Knievel was a big deal before we were born. But yes. I I was born in 79 and I feel like I had some evil Knievel residue. That sounds gross. Um like leftover evil Knievel influence in my life. I had his toy. The you little grew motorcycle. Up in the
1: wake in the wake of evil Knievel popularity.
0: I grew up in a world that was made possible by evil Knievel, Yes. Um <laughs> so we had the toys and I remember like you like my brother, I think knew more about him cuz my brother was born in 75. So like he knew a little bit more about him, and he, we, we, he I remember him, like, talking about it one, once in a while because my brother was way into cars and stuff when he was a little kid, but, like, all I remember from him as a little kid is, like, you see footage of his crashes. <laughs> the the Caesar's Palace jump in 67. That was, like, the big one. He, and then uh, to jump.
1: Snake Canyon, wasn't that another one that he famously did not land as well?
0: That's a, yeah, but that was a weirder one because he was, like, in a rocket ship. Oh, yeah. And he didn't really hurt himself that much in that one. Like the famous ones are the ones where he damn near died. Like he 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 claims to have had over four hundred bone breaks in his life. So I I actually
1: just in passing saw that that's really most likely not true.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's true. I mean, over a hundred. <laughs> I think so. His
1: son, I guess, according to his son, it was probably more like forty to fifty.
0: Well, that's still like fifty too many.
1: No, that's a lot of bone breaks, and for a guy who is so anti-drug, I bet he really loved pain pills.
0: He had to yeah. have. Yeah, and like that, that that messes you up because like, you ever broken a bone?
1: Oh, n- only a minor fracture. Oh, a couple. I guess another one undiagnosed from a doctor that happened at the beginning of COVID. But um. <laughs> Yeah, that's, no, straight up, I, I I think I broke my arm, and it just took, like, four months to heal, but, um, yeah, no, but not, like, nothing crazy, not, like, compound, like, nothing, just the minor
0: fractures. When I was, I might have said this, on, I, I said this on the podcast, but when I was two years old, I had a spiral fracture to my femur from my knee to my hip. And Jeez. Yeah, and I'm, st- and that was two years old, and that messed me up for life, like, I walk funny. And I have to start physical therapy next week because my hip's all messed up, so like that's just one break, you know, that's yeah, bad,
1: yeah, and it's like stuck with you
0: forever. stuck with me forever. It has made me the the off centered person I am to this day because I, I walk funny. I walk off center, but, yeah, I can't imagine having more than that like he broke his collarbone a million times, I think <laughs>
1: like I imagine it must have been like ribs, arms, collarbone, like. Probably pretty much anything and everything, really.
0: Yeah. And, you know, reading about him, I feel like his life, his real life, would make an awesome movie.
1: Yeah, but he would never want people to know the reality of who he not is. Not even on
0: the bad stuff he did. like, he, what, what, what do you think of the bad things he did?
1: I mean, I don't know. I So now, like, I'll admit to not, I'm not, like, an evil evil expert. But <laughs> no, I get the vibe, man. I get some really... Like the stories they tell about him, it, you know, seemed like kind of like it's like he's like 70s hero, which actually usually means it's like all these funny stories about like, oh, did he steal money? Blah, blah, blah. He broke a guy's <laughs> arm and shattered it with a baseball bat yeah. for slander. And like, it's like, it's like, yeah, these are funny stories. Ha, ha, ha. But it's like, no, I th- I think he's just a f- a fucking asshole. To if I can use bad language like that. Please,
0: but. you, you. I'm trying to cut down because my mom listens to it. But you do what you want to do. It's fine. Oh, um,
1: I'm sorry, James's s- mom. Viva, Viva,
2: Viva, Viva.
0: He had an interesting life. He he was uh, ma- born in 1938. Was married when he's making this movie where he plays a single man hitting on Lauren Hutton, which we'll get to. In real life, he was married. Are oh, you talking naturally.
1: about the interview that he did uh, in the
0: movie? In the movie?
1: Oh, in the movie. Never mind. Well, I'll get to an- another one later.
0: Oh 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 no! But no, he had he was a family man. He was a high school dropout, born and raised in Butte, Montana, and. His like his his very first job was in a was working in a mine and he got fired because he made his earth mover do a wheelie. <laughs> <And> <laughs> he it cut a power line that made a whole city have a blackout. So like Jeez. I feel like that's kind of early on there. He did all kinds of other shit. He worked in radios. He was a stunt ski jumper. He was in the army. He played hockey, amateur hockey. He was an insurance salesman, <laughs> and all this shit. And then he didn't. He got into jumps like in in the late '60s. Started out with smaller stuff, and then there was the Caesar's Palace stunt that really got him well known. That was on ABC's Wide World of Sports, and he owned that footage of him crashing that he could sell a million times, and that kind of helped give him the capital to really become the stunt guy in the '70s. And like, so I would say from like '68 to '75 is like peak Knievel. He's everywhere. He's doing jumps um like all over the world. He's crashing all the time and nearly killing himself. He had a, a famous failed jump at Wembley where mm-hmm. after it, he said he would retire because it was so bad. And they kind of they show that footage in the movie um when somebody else wipes out.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say, is that what that footage was was actual real evil can evil footage of him wiping
0: out? There are two wipeouts in the movie. The second wipeout with a character who is not Evil Knievel. That is Evil, in real life, that is Evil Knievel wiping out of Wembley.
1: Oh, but the, but the character
0: like Johnny Red or I can't remember yeah, what yeah, that was. Yeah, the, Some... the knockoff guy. Yes, who we'll get yeah. to. Because that guy, that person on his own has a whole other story. He, he did one more. He After that, he did a jump at Kings Island in Ohio, where, where I've been. Nice place. That was his best jump. It was amazing. It held records forever. He was going to do another jump. He was going to jump over a tank of sharks. He was literally going to jump the shark. (laughs) Uh, Something went wrong. The idea with this jump was to do a smaller jump that was less risky, but looked dangerous because all the people were like, these sharks are not going to eat you. If you somehow fall in the tank, you're going to scare the shit out of them. It's fine. But yeah. there was a mistake during the practice. He injured a cameraman. He felt really bad about it. And he quit. His last stunt show was in 1980. He did one tour with his son in 81, and that was it. But like I said, by the time Viva Knievel came out in 77, he was more or less retired. It's like oh really? do you think he is in this movie? Uh,
1: 55? <laughs> I don't know. He looks pretty. He's like kind of. He's he he's almost 39. looks a little. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He looks. I guess I should have assumed that. Like it wasn't that old, but like, yeah, no. Yeah, he he's he looks rugged. Aged.
0: He looks like a dude who's seen the shit.
1: I know. I was like almost thinking, like you know, Gene Kelly doesn't even seem that much older than him. <laughs> like, yeah. how did he teach him the jump? Like, yes, because Gene Kelly is in this damn movie. <laughs> I know, like what kind of freaking gambling debts did he have going (laughs) on The the freaking rain singer you know the tap dancing jerry mouse guy himself had to be in this movie like what
0: here's the thing about gene kelly in this movie it's very i i dug into that i was like what the hell is going on so you know as a whole gene kelly was not in a ton of stuff actually like he was less, in less than 50 movies, which for a guy from that era of movie making is not a lot. Usually, they would bang him out like crazy. But he, you know, post Singing in the Rain, Gene Kelly is kind of sad. You know, Singing in the Rain came out in 52, and that was really kind of his last big hit.
1: Oh really? I didn't know the actual timelines because I, I've I, I know a good handful of his movies. I just didn't know what like when 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 was what.
0: Yeah. So he did a movie called Invitation to Dance, which was like this experimental all dancing film with no dialogue. What? Because he was oh. way into advancing the art of dance as an art form. Like that was his big thing. Interesting. Have you have you ever seen American in Paris? I don't know. Maybe one of the greatest movies ever made, and it ends with a twenty minute ballet number. Like, with no dialogue. Like, that was his. that's what he wanted to do. But musicals dried up, you know, in the, in the, in the late 50s. He went on to directing. He, direct, he turned down Sound of Music. There's a famous quote where he said, go find someone else to direct this piece of shit. <laughs> wow. He directed a few movies. He directed uh, a movie that was a hit for Walter Matthau called A Guide for the Married Man. He directed a Doris Day film that this is not the last time Doris Day will come up in this episode called Tunnel of Love, which is a romantic comedy with Richard Widmark, who usually plays a Nazi in movies. So that's a weird one. And he also directed Hello, Dolly, which, you know, killed musicals. That movie was such a huge bomb that after Hello, Dolly, there weren't many musicals for a while. And... He went on to do TV stuff, not like documentary stuff. And he was kind of retired by the 70s, but he was offered the script. I tracked down interviews (laughs) to find out what the hell's going on. He did this movie because his kids liked Evil Knievel. That's
1: what I was going to thinking. I was like, this has to be an Alec Guinness and Star
0: Wars kind of thing. Or every British person in Harry Potter.
1: Yeah, I ha- I just like that's the- that was like my main assumption, and I'm I'm su- I'm was
0: right. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you know he 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 said he was happy to do it. He it was the first character role he'd ever really done. He never did a supporting character role. He wanted to try it. So, I feel when you think about it like that, that makes sense. You know, it's something, and I would imagine for him, it's something different. It's fun. You know. He gets to play a drunk who gets drugged on PCP or something. Um, <laughs> you get to see Gene Kelly writhing around in a mental asylum. This movie has a very strange plot, which we'll get to shortly. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, and, my God.
0: Yes, and but like he did this. This obviously was not a hit. Then his last movie was Xanadu. I love, but that is the minority opinion on on Xanadu. You seen Xanadu?
1: I, I saw it on TV a long time ago because I was like, Oh, cool, electric light orchestra. And I sat oh, yeah. there scratching my head, really confused, like, when are they gonna do Turn to Stone? Like <laughs> And they never did.
0: But they do that that opens with I'm Alive. That's a great song. I'm, like, I'm alive. Anyway, sorry. Um I love that Z- I own Z- I, Z- I don't do on Blu-ray. I'm 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 that guy. But yeah, you know, it didn't work out for him. It, I I kind of feel bad. Like, Gene Kelly, I feel like I wish he would have been able to transition more to dramas or comedy or something, you know, because he was such a talented actor. And also just so – it's a bummer he couldn't, like, do action movies back then or something because, like, he was so physically fit, like, even in, in this movie. I mean, he would have had to have been. I mean, yeah. with all
1: the dancing, like, that's a workout.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was – uh, you know, almost, let me do math. He was, you know, in his late 60s in this movie.
1: I think he was 65. I looked it up.
0: Like, yeah, I had to do the math 66. myself. And he doesn't look it. Like, I'm sure he had some work done, but also, like, he's just in perfect shape. Because he's a dancer. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and one of the greatest dancers of all time. So he's kept himself fit, is what I'm saying. You know, so, but yeah, not as... Not his best role. I would say the best actor in this movie is Leslie Nielsen.
1: Yeah, I thought Airplane was his first comedy. Like, <laughs>
0: what? nice burn.
1: Yeah, I know. You know I'm sh-
0: no, he was in actual comedies like before Airplane too. Uh, you know, I feel like before we just talk about Leslie Nielsen in this movie, we should kind of say what it's about so we can introduce his character properly. So, Elliot. Try to explain the quote-unquote plot to Viva Knievel.
1: So, like, Evil Knievel's, like, a messiah or something. I don't know, but, like, apparently he's real. I mean, I know he was really popular at the time. But, like, it's this very self-inflated, like, unrealistic fictional view of, like, who Evil Knievel is. And apparently, like, Leslie Nielsen and some other guys are like trying to con him into smuggling drugs across the border. And at first I thought it was going to be like, because they made an exact replica of his touring, of his touring trailer. But then, then they sew the drugs into somebody's body or something. Well, no,
0: what the to it's, it's a little hard to follow. Cause we don't, I've seen it twice now. So I, I so Leslie Nielsen plays Stanley Millard, who is a businessman slash international cocaine dealer. Excuse me, as, as was the style at the time. And his plan is to have Evil Knievel do a tour of Mexico and kill him. And then use a replica of his trailer to smuggle $3.6 million of drugs back into the country.
1: But they killed him. Why not just use his trailer?
0: Because they had to build a replica of his trailer to hide the drugs in it. And also because it's not a very good movie.
1: Yeah, I like one of the things I sat there, like as I, w- as all of this went on, I'm like, all of this for one shipment of cocaine across the border? Really? You're going to kill evil Knievel for one? I mean, like, maybe if it was going to open up like an express canal to the United States and you're going to be able to get more cocaine, but like, this seemed like a lot of work and a lot of scheming just for, you know.
0: Well, Leslie uh, Nielsen's evil, man. I mean, he wants to kill I evil. K- so. And not evil with an E like Evil evil, evil with an I. Leslie Nielsen has a strange career. Like, obviously, anyone listening to this knows him from Airplane, knows him from Naked Gun, all those movies. But that was, like, the joke in Airplane is that he's Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, that he's, like, so straight
1: and, like, that he's, like, such a straight character, and that's what makes it so funny it is, like, the dialogue he says in his very, like, you know.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a story. I think it involves Leslie Nielsen. It's Robert Stack. And Robert Stack is, because he's, he's in that movie too. And he's reading the script, I think, with Leslie Nielsen. He's like, I don't get the joke. And Leslie's like, we're the joke. Like, the, it's the, that we're here. That's the joke. And because before that, Leslie Nielsen was only in, like, serious shit. He was in every TV show like that you've never heard of. He, if you look at his IMDb, he was in the Virginian. He was in the man from uncle. He was in uh, some Disney stuff. He was in the red Skelton's TV show, night gallery, like every like s- show you could possibly, he's an episode of bash, like this nonstop TV. So Mod he was really squad. like
1: a character actor in the seventies oh, kind yeah. of and- turned somewhat mainstream
0: comedian actor. Because in the 60s, he had a brief, like, like, theatrical career. He was in probably his biggest movie before Airplane is probably Forbidden Planet. He's in Forbidden Planet, which is a great movie. And he's in that, that was version of Bogus. Bogus was a big, big movie. But that's about it. And then, of course, Airplane came out and this completely changed his career. I always find it funny to watch his late era movies before Airplane cuz it's kind of an overlap like he's in Prom Night like after Airplane came out. So, I haven't seen that. It's bad, don't see it. It's the worst uh Jamie Lee Curtis horror movie. But Prom Night came out the same year as Airplane. And then like he's in a few and then he's in Creep Show. <laughs> you know, um I'm not familiar. Creep Show's a great movie too, but like Around this time, he was in also a lot of disaster movies. He was in City on Fire, which was a, a huge bomb that one of the two big bombs that killed disaster films, and he was in Poseidon Adventure in seventy two. Okay, he's the he's the ship's captain. Um, he's also in a movie that I've never heard of called And Millions Die, which is about a Nazi in in Hong Kong who wants to plant a time bomb in the Hong Kong sewer that's poisoned the whole city. I want. It's a TV movie. This is not my goal. But no, so he's in Poseidon Adventure, which was a huge movie. And Poseidon Adventure was produced by Irwin Allen, who produced Lost in Space and a bunch of TV shows and all the disaster oh, okay. movies. And Irwin Allen also produced this movie.
1: Okay, see that now that you say like this was produced by someone who did a lot of TV. I did feel like this was one really long, bad episode of a 70s yeah. like crime drama.
0: Yeah, because Irwin Allen is the, is the uncredited producer, but he is the producer. And the other producers mostly did TV. There's a guy named Stanley Howe and Cheryl Corwin. Um, Cheryl Corwin was a producer on Poseidon Adventure and this, and he also owned movie theaters. Stanley Howe produced a ton of TV and worked as a second AD but almost all this stuff is TV. Same thing with the writers. There's two writers, Norman Katoff and Antonio Santin. Norman Katoff wrote every TV show. Again, I'm just reading IMDB, but it's worth like this to really hammer it down. He wrote Miss Impossible, Kung Fu, Ironside, Mannix, Bonanza, The Doris Day Show. Again, he also wrote only he wrote one other movie, which is a Doris Day movie. <laughs> He wrote The Virginian. He wrote The Wild Wild West. He wrote The Untouchables. He wrote Dr. Kildare. He wrote a million TV shows and, like, two movies. <laughs> so Jeez. it is a big TV-heavy thing. But, yeah, he wrote, he wrote It Happened to Jane, a very good Doris Day film with Ernie Kovacs and Jack Lemon, which I recommend. And Okay. Yeah, and this movie was directed by somebody else, who worked with Doris Day? I said, I'm done with Doris Day. It's the Doris Day hat trick. It was directed by Gordon Douglas, who directed one of Doris Day's best dramas, Young at Heart, with Frank Sinatra. Uh, and it has Frank Sinatra and the skipper from Gilligan's Island.
1: <laughs> um, okay. Bob, is that Bob Denver. Is that who that is? No, 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 I, no.
0: Bob Denver's Gilligan. I forgot. Oh, uh, okay. Alan, whatever his name is. But Gordon Douglas is a like a prolific director with an impressive filmography, Academy Award winning director. So, of course, this is his last film.
1: <laughs> he, oh, man. What a way to a,
0: go out. He won an Oscar for directing a, a Little Rascal short. Weird. In the, ni- in the 1930s. There used to be a category for like run one real films, and he won that Oscar. And that was his only Oscar, and he was pretty much like a hired hand director from the 40s until this. He directed zombies on Broadway. <laughs> he directed um, them, which is a great movie. Them, the the killer ant movie.
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar with a lot of like those old monster movies. Oh,
0: that's one of the best ones. That's the best American one uh, without question. He directed, like I said, Young at Heart. He directed Liberace's only movie. Really. Which surprised, not a hit. He directed in like Flint, good movie, The Detective with Sinatra, fantastic movie. The sequel to In the Heat of the Night, They Call Me Mister Tibbs, pretty good movie, and this. So I feel bad for him that he went out. He went out with a thud. Allegedly, I cannot find any proof to this claim, but allegedly Irwin Allen actually directed most of this movie. Okay. Because Gordon Douglas got ill, so that's what, that's that's what that that that's one of those things you see on IMDb. But there's no source. There's no yeah. Claim. I'll tell you, who
1: knows? <laughs>
0: and and it's not like this movie has a has a girth of behind the scenes footage for it. It's like so, you know who knows. I can't find anyone to collaborate. I wouldn't be surprised. It, it feels like a TV movie, like you said very yeah
1: it, like the the music like th- there's a chase scene from between leslie nielsen and uh <laughs> evil knievel at the end of the movie and it's pretty much mm-hmm. just like 15 minutes of them driving around and it's not yes. even like
0: good driving it's
1: like you it's know a terrible
0: chase scene, and the ending of it yeah. is hilarious <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah yeah and uh we'll the whole time is just this like it's like this chase music from Chips is going the whole time with just like the seventies, like wah pedal guitar and like you know, what I mean, it's just like so seventies TV. Clearly, they didn't get, they couldn't get an orchestra or something, so just like they got like a four piece rock band to put yeah, together that's, some
0: that's, porn music for the movie. But that's Charles Bernstein. He's a good composer. He did the. Oh, really? He did. He did Kudrow. He did a Nightmare on Elm Street. No, he, he did mostly TV stuff, but he did a few good so I guess you're right. Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. Yeah, TV. So there you go. Um he did do the um the Burt Reynolds movies White Lightning and Gator, which are kind of like the prototypes we talked about for um Smoking a Bandit. So Yeah. Yeah, and and Mr. Majestic. So kind of that style of movie, like very like, you know, action focused. He has good Wawa guitar.
1: Yeah, no, it's like textbook wah guitar. Like, don't get me wrong. It's just, it just felt like, you know, I don't know. What was the 70s cop show? Like TJ Hooker or something? Chips. Like,
0: Let's go chips. Yeah,
1: chips. Yeah, it was just like, it was one of those things where I was like, Oh my God. This like, just, I feel like I'm watching an old episode of something from the seventies. This doesn't feel like a movie right now. It was so <laughs> cheap. It was like, it was like a mix of, it was like if they tried to have a chase scene in Billy Jack, it was just like, <laughs> not, I, I don't know. I was, it was dis- it clearly distracting enough. There was a lot of stuff in this movie that was really distracting for me where I was like, why, why did they do this? Like, it what was, on earth?
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it was a choice. <laughs> What did you think of Jesse? Jesse is the bad guy motorcyclist. So I, you, do you know anything about that actor? No, I don't. Okay, I cool. Don't. So before before I tell you, so Jesse's played by a guy named Marjo Gortner. Now, you don't know anything about this guy. I'm, I'm going to tell you, this guy had an, another career that he was very famous for before he became an actor. Can you guess what it was?
1: Was he one of those, like, preacher-healer guys in the tent? God
0: damn it. You googled that. Didn't was I you? seriously right? Yes.
1: Are you kidding me? You mother. I don't know. You cheated. He, you te- just, no. You, I had oh, no he, idea. That was just he, like that came to me. Like I think he must you know, have he some divine power from the past. Like he's. A, I, I'm assuming he's dead by
0: now. Or no, no? he's still alive. Well, he's kind of fallen into obscurity, but he's not dead. He became a preacher when he was four years old.
1: That is, so he's, he's been in the game a long time.
0: No, so has a very interesting story. So Marjo Gortner, he was ordained as a preacher when he was four because, like, his parents trained him, obviously, to be a preacher. Yeah, and
1: how else does that happen?
0: He was a, a big celebrity in the Southern Revival circuit through, as a child. He became a teenager, became a huge beatnik, dropped out of all that stuff, went to New York, got involved with all the hippies and shit, got broke went back to preaching, but didn't believe it and just
1: making a he was like a snake oil salesman at that well, point not
0: well he was never really he wasn't promising anything like he so so here's the thing he made a documentary there's a sub he uh, called Marjo, which won an Oscar for best documentary in nineteen seventy two and it shows him preparing for this stuff, and like he clearly doesn't believe it, but he's not really faith healing or anything he's just preaching so he i don't know if you want to call him a con man he is counting 20 dollar bills like 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 nothing but that movie shows the racket and it was very it's a great documentary one of the cameramen on that movie went on to direct that steve martin movie leap of faith about television about evangelists (laughs) evangelists really (laughs) yes so but that was his last time doing it. He quit doing it. He made a rock album in 72 that nobody bought. He wanted to be a singer. Um, if you watch Marjo, the documentary, he talks about what, like, he gets his moves from Mick Jagger. Like, Interesting. Way, it's very, it's a great documentary. It's on Amazon. I, I highly recommend it. i
1: went to check a- that out.
0: He went into acting in the 70s. He was married to Candy Clark. That's the woman from The Man Who Fell to Earth and a couple other good movies. He was in Earthquake, and according to the IMDb, his salary for that was $6,666 per week. I hope that's true, because that's, <laughs> you know, but... The number of the beat? Yes, six six six. it was one with one more six, even more evil. And then he's in Bobby Joe and the Outlaw, which looks like a movie we should watch, just based on <laughs> the kind of 70s garbage we talk about. He was in a couple of the Forgotten movies. He was in Star Crash, which was on the re like the rebooted mystery science leader. That's it was okay, on that. I haven't
1: seen I don't think I've seen the rebooted. I've I've only kind of okay. seen a, a little bit of it.
0: It is Mike Nelsonless, so that's good. Um yeah, fuck that dude. And he was in Hellhole. Hellhole is a great woman in woman in an insane asylum movie with Mary Warinov, who was in Eating Raul and Terror and was an Andy Warhol actress. But he did a lot of TV. He was in the guest spots on the A Team, Are Wolf, TJ Hooker, Falcon's Crest, but he hasn't acted since the nineties. He's done. (laughs) Like he he gave it up. And
1: like who knows though, like that might have been enough. Like he's maybe he's just retired and chilling, you know?
0: You know I've seen him in three movies now, uh, because I saw Hell Hole. I don't I don't remember him in Hell Hole. I I don't think he's bad in this. The script is terrible, but that's not his fault. He plays a good bad guy. Yeah,
1: no, I actually his character wasn't like it wasn't horrible. It was well executed.
0: He does he plays coked out really good.
1: Yeah. Can we talk about the motorcycle that he has in the movie? Like, oh man, yeah, it has the what wings. What was it called? The the uh stratacycle?
0: Stratocycle, yes. Because <laughs> oh, evil people yeah, had to yeah. had, had like a, another one like that. Yeah, stratocycle with wings. <laughs>
1: what? it was like this cost this you could buy 30 stock motorcycles for the price of this it's like what you put a fiberglass body kit on it yeah and that costs 30 yeah. micro motorcycles
0: yeah it was made of titanium yeah. and, and diamonds that's why it, who knows yeah
1: okay. um yeah.
0: he i will say that Mar- marjo is one of the only act- like uh, compared to evil he's not outstaged by his shirts because like evil knievel is terrible as evil knievel
1: yeah, you know, and it's funny because he was known for being charismatic, right? Like, he was supposed to be a charmer, but I guess, you know, it doesn't necessarily translate to acting.
0: Yeah, like, there's a scene in Mexico where they're talking, and he's talking to the governor or something, and he just says two lines together. It's like, we'll talk about that later. Let's get the tequila. Like, the, the way he says it, it's like, the the subject changes, but he doesn't stop to talk, stop talking, <laughs> so he's just reading a script. It's... It, it's like it has big, like junior high school book report vibe. Like he's terrible, but his shirts,
1: yeah. I know. I even at one point, so every single outfit he has <laughs> has like a 12 inch collar or lapel on it. Yes. And oh, I, no. I remember thinking. <laughs> It was so funny at like the end, like towards the end of the movie, him and Gene Kelly are both in like, you know, like mechanic coveralls. Yeah. And Gene Kelly's just in like kind of a plain pair of like red or blue coveralls. I can't remember what they were. But then Evil Knievel's in like a pair of orange coveralls with stripes going up the side and then in like a 12 inch collar. It's like, who the hell custom makes this guy's like coveralls
0: like yeah it was I mean I, when I was I teased this podcast on Twitter I said I was talking about the most 70s film and I feel like this is the most 70s film I mean it's about evil Knievel God sakes and the style of it the, the, the fashion in this movie is nothing but late 70s train wrecks like everybody has a leisure suit like polyester <laughs> polyester suits with huge pockets and like the white trim, and if you don't have a Lisa suit, you have an ascot and it in or in a beret. Like both, red, we forgot to mention Red Buttons is in this fucking movie. Red Buttons plays the promoter. He was an Academy Award winning actor, also. <laughs> um, yeah, he
1: wasn't in it a lot, though. Really? No, he, he's, he's just kind of, kind of shows up. Beginning.
0: He shows up and like, hey, I'm Red Buttons. I'm cri- I'm a I'm a crooked promoter, and then he leaves. But. He 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 dresses like like a like a pimp. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, and Leslie Nielsen has those well, those skin tight polyester shirts that you can see the nipples in.
1: See, like this is really funny because like when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with like seventies fashion. When I would no go shit. to thrifts, yeah. when I would go to thrift stores, the way I could tell if it was something I wanted to wear is I would like straight up the first thing I would look at was how long is the collar. And <laughs> this movie, is all long collars. I o- I've owned a handful of leisure suits myself. Mm. Um, not you know, not something that'll probably ever come around again in the style <laughs> trends.
0: You gotta be. You gotta. I remember there was a kid in my high school who, unfortunately, I think got his pa- his parents had hand me downs. They were poor, and his, all his shirts had huge collars, and kids made fun of him. Uh, you oh, know, poor I, guy. Yeah, I didn't make, I was lower on the totem pole than him, so I didn't do that. But I feel like for a leisure suit to make a comeback, you got to be, you got to be somebody like, you know, I feel like, like in the 90s, it kind of did like, like the Beastie Boys, like they kind of had that style for a while. And well, like, yeah, the
1: whole the whole decade of the '90s was about '70s nostalgia, right? Exactly.
0: Like, yeah, not as much as every decade since about the '80s, but it was yeah, still it, it, it was still there. And but like, I feel like like you know, if Post Malone wanted to rock a Lisa suit, he'd get away with it. I, he he would look awful, but he could he could do it. Like somewhat, you couldn't go to you you couldn't be a regular dude and like be like, I'm gonna bring back Lisa suits, just just. just
1: yeah, I you know, know, like, I, I, I've probably put on 100 pounds since the last time I donned a leisure suit. So um, I, I gave but like, not even like, three, four years ago, I gave I had like a, a Levi Strauss, like kind of like a pea green, like a very 70s pea green polyester okay. leisure suit. And I gave it to my roommate, who's a professional musician in Portland. And, like, I see pictures of him at gigs every now and then, and he's in that green leisure suit. So, so people, you know.
0: I mean, you gotta, let's be, leisure suits are not flattering to big men. Because the the cut of the suit is almost, is always really close. Like, it's a a tight suit. It's like very,
1: they're very, like, long. It's like, I think they're supposed to give the illusion that you're tall or something.
0: I don't need that. 'Cause I'm just tall. So I'm six six. I don't need a Lisa suit. Like, I feel if I wore a suit, I would look like Bob in that seventies show. <laughs> and that's not a good nobody I mean, I have better hair than him. But like not 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 a good look. I think the only person in this movie who looks good is Lauren Hutton. You know.
1: Which one was that?
0: Well, the, the actress, Lauren Hutton, the, the the Oh the the
1: the journalist.
0: Yes, oh yes, the journalist. She's or a played photographer. By Lauren. Yeah, photographer, yes. Um, Lauren Hutton was a model and okay, pretty big deal in the 70s. I, I think she was a Revlon girl and her acting career was spotty to say the best. She's in American Gigolo. That's her best known role. She's very good in that and she's in Gator. Again that Burt Reynolds movie Gator. She's in a lesser known Altman movie called A Wedding and if anybody listening to this has seen another movie with Ron Hutton, they probably saw Once Bitten, the 1985 Jim Carrey vampire sex comedy. I've never even heard of it. It's bad. It's aged poorly. Um, there's a there are some a lot of gay jokes in that movie. Um, but she again, as a common theme in this move in this podcast, uh, women actresses get shit roles, and she kind of quit acting since the 1990s she's been in two movies both small budget both small roles so i you know she went back to modeling she went back to fashion did just fine now she's she's fine in this like she's you know
1: yeah no she has a couple heartfelt moments in the movie like okay the storyline with gene kelly's son his estranged son (laughs) yeah like okay (laughs) This movie like, has too much look story. At him. Yeah, yeah, I can't even look at him. How dare you bring my son here? I'm like, really, man? Like, okay. And then, you know, she somehow, she gives a couple, you know, tearjerker performances about, I don't even remember now. It wasn't very memorable, apparently, but.
0: She is, like, the mediator between Evil and Gene Kelly's character at one point about the son, because, Gene Kelly's character. I keep saying Gene Kelly's character. What's Will? Will has Will, a son. Yeah. Yeah. Will has a son, who is of course named Tommy, because every child in a movie is named Tommy, and yeah,
1: especially in the seventies.
0: Whenever someone said Tommy, I would say back, "Can you hear me?" Just, <laughs> yeah. And and my boyfriend was confused. And, and he's
1: got like this. Of course, he looks like he's got like the freaking Captain Kangaroo bowl cut of every kid in the seventies too.
0: And of course, like every child actor in the 70s, he looks like he's 12, but he's really almost 16. <laughs> and poor kid. He was in the Irwin Allen Swiss Family Robertson movie and TV show. And he was in a few episodes of Little House on the Prairie and Eight is Enough. And that's pretty much it. Like, if you go to his IMDb, his name's Eric Olson. There's, he's credited as being an enemy of the state. But Eric Olson is a pretty common name. Yeah. So IMDB does make mistakes, and that could be somebody else. Who knows? He's done some theater work. I don't know what else he's done. Like again, I, I didn't spend too much time researching the child actor in Viva Knievel. I don't want to get put on a list. Um <laughs> but like he's terrible. It's not his fault though. He's a he's a yeah, child actor who's given know, a terrible he's script. A kid. He's a kid. Yeah. <laughs> This movie, yeah, this movie has so many stories. So there's the main plot with the the evil Leslie Nielsen, cocaine, and then yeah, there's the subplot of little Tommy and his alcoholic dad, and then. There's also the romance between uh, evil and the photographer,
1: and it is a very like they don't really explore that romance much, though. No, it's just like she's a little cold at the beginning, and then she yeah. loves him at the end, pretty uh, much.
0: And it's, it's a very chase film. It's PG, and by the yeah. like, he didn't want to make a, a he wanted to make a movie for kids, so that part makes sense. But there's no there's no chemistry there. Nothing happens. You know, yeah. it's a it's a very forced, forced thing. There's one more actor I want to bring up, very small role. Did you notice that Dabney Coleman's in this? Do you know who that is? I don't know if I know who that is. Dabney Coleman is the dad in Cloak and Dagger. And he's in he's in a ton of movies. Like if you if you Google him, you might recognize him now. And he's in a ton of TV shows. I love Dabney Coleman. He plays the evil doctor in Mexico. Okay. And uh, he shows up for like five minutes here. He's also in Towering Inferno for like five minutes, so I imagine that's okay. why. But I do love seeing Dabney Coleman in, in anything because his, if you do ever see Dabney Coleman in something and it's not Cloak and Dagger, he's either a prick or a killer and uh, or just a bad guy. And so the second I saw Dabney Coleman here, I'm like, oh no, he's an evil doctor.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, that was a dead giveaway, huh?
0: Yeah. Because... He he shows up pretty late in the movie, so yeah, like we said, Leslie Nielsen's gonna smuggle drugs, and well, Gene Kelly's character finds out the plot, kind of. He finds out something's amiss. So, what do they do? What does what do they do to to uh, Gene Kelly?
1: They okay, so they like I don't even know if they give him drugs. They, yeah.
0: just, <laughs> they, they do, just they do they
1: put him in an insane asylum, and and or I don't even know if it's an asylum. It was like. Some kind sanatorium. of sanatorium. It, yeah, it was weirdly some kind of sanatorium run by Americans in Mexico. Yeah. I don't know what, why, or what, or how. And then yes, yeah, so they put him in there, and like, and this kind of brings me to my next question for you, okay. as the yeah. expert on this movie. How many <laughs> oh different no! Role? How many different like roles does Evo Canivo play? In this movie, because not only is he a stunt man, he's a philanthropist. He's like Santa Claus to children. He's all these things, and it, like when he was breaking out Will from jail, jail, he picks the lock. Like he sneaks past the guards. So he's like also James Bond. I don't what he's, what's going on. He's, so
0: he's Jesus Bond on a motorcycle. Yeah.
1: Like wh- when did why would Evil Knievel know how to pick a lock?
0: Why would, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot of plot holes here, also, and but I love if you watch this movie for anything, watch it to see Gene Kelly acting like he's hopped up on seventies goofballs when he's <laughs> in the mental asylum because he's you know he's trying his best, man, but like it makes no sense, and he's just in this padded room screaming, and you're like. You were in singing in the rain. <laughs> I
1: know. I kept saying that out loud during this movie. I think at one point my girlfriend was like, Are you talking to someone? I'm like, No, just the TV. I'm like yelling back
0: at it. You're sending negative vibes to me across <laughs> yeah. the continent. You've you sent were me an a-
1: Academy Award winning actor, I believe he was. Anyways, I'm there assuming two... he must have been at least an honorary one.
0: He won an honorary Oscar. In 52, which is weird. But yeah, so he's an Oscar winner, Red Buttons is an Oscar winner, and the director's an Oscar winner. So you have three Oscars behind this movie. And But if there's no script, like, what can you yeah. do, you know?
1: <laughs> I get the vibe that, like, Evil Knievel, like, he he wrote the cue cards or something himself. And that's why, like, there's run on sentences and no like no punctuation or you know
0: funny funny you bring that up because according to evil he wrote the movie okay (laughs) uh now he is not the credited writer he's not even credited with like a scenario but that read an interview with him and he's like oh it's a good picture i know it is because i wrote it and then the reporter's like, "Well, you're not the credited writer; these guys are." And uh, he's like, "That's bullshit. I wrote it. They just pop. They just polished what I wrote." And like, he has a one of this PR guy with him, and like the reporter's like, "The PR guy looks kind of unhappy right now." <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's like, "Well, it's about me. This is my life story, right? Yes. So yes. yeah, and I wrote
0: it." He, he uh, said he came up with the idea for the movie after one of his employees, quote, got dependent on LSD. Okay. <laughs> so so like, I know he, re-
1: I could, I would believe it though. I would believe it because there's so many things in this. It's like, okay, like with Red Button's character in the beginning of the movie, clearly Evil Knievel's insecure about like, He's like, "Oh, I'm so I should be so much more rich, but I've all these dishonest people stealing from me
0: and I well, clearly hate drugs he and <laughs> Clearly he hates promoters. Clearly he hates promoters. Yeah. Like, I mean, after this movie came out, he he beat up a promoter with a baseball bat. So, Yeah. I mean, yeah, so he, he hates promoters. Yeah. I don't know. He Evil Knievel was very anti-drug. Like famously. And so he gives a speech in the movie.
2: You know, I see a lot of young people here in the stands today. So before I make the jump, there's something that I'd like to say to you that's been bothering me for a long time. I go to Indianapolis every year to see the Indy 500. I go there with friends to drive and race. Every year when they go there to qualify, they usually have to go as fast as they possibly can to get a front row position. They put nitro in their cars sometimes instead of the fuel that's intended to be in the cars so that their cars will go faster. And they they do, do, for five five or 10 laps, and then then they blow blow all the hell. And And you people, you you kids, kids, if you you put put nitro in in your bodies, bodies, in the the form of narcotics, so that you you can can do do better, better, or so 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 that that maybe you you think think you can can do better, better. you You will for about five or or 10 years, and then you'll blow all the hell. You're a wonderful crowd. I'm glad that you all made it, and I'm going to do my best to make it right across this jump. Thank you. He would give that speech at shows.
0: And, you know, I get it. Like, his audience was kids.
1: Yeah, it was winners don't do drugs kind winners of thing. Winners don't do
0: drugs. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't like, you know, the, the discourse about drug use has changed. obviously since the late 70s but hey you know what don't do cocaine like i'm a i'm a stand by that 1977 viewpoint cocaine's bad for you don't do it (laughs) and i I bet i bet keneval did cocaine (laughs) he's really anti-drug so i know but but he also really likes drinking he really liked drinking so
1: it, he, i sure, had a like a standing prescription with every hospital for pain medication. He must have.
0: Hey, well, like Scott Weiland used to say, man, he, if it's a prescription, it's not, it's not, not drug abuse. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, even
1: at like the end of his life, he had a permanent morphine pump put into. I mean, like. evil evil did must yeah he must have been in a lot of pain i just like yeah i feel bad he probably drank a lot too you know i know he was a fan of 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 kentucky bourbon um but
0: hey we got that coming
1: i don't know i don't buy it (laughs) i don't buy it at (laughs) all i guarantee like i know as i was kind of like i was looking at some youtube interviews and stories about him and like you know, uh, Johnny Knoxville, the guy from the Dukes of Hazzard movie, and Jackass, of course. He 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 produced a documentary about Evil Knievel, and he was telling stories about him. And apparently, there was like one, and I'm I'm not going to try to t- retell the story, but like he. He got in a really bad crash and like mm-hmm. he whispered like he waved one of his friends to come in and he's like, Okay, hey, can I talk to you? And you think he's gonna say something profound and he asks him to clear the girl out of his out of his trailer. So like I don't <laughs> think he was a good guy. Uh,
0: I, I I think he 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 was a flawed person. Uh, yeah. I don't want to talk mean, too he, ill of him. I mean, who knows? No. Like, I don't mean, wanna like, say he was a piece of shit.
1: I don't know, but like I, I don't know like so also in preparation for this I watched an interview of him doing a promotion run for this movie oh man
0: I went, oh I gotta watch that later
1: I will link it to you and I I actually could not make it more than like three minutes of listening to him talk oh no I was like so uncomfortable that I had to turn it off
0: Do you think I'm he not got, kidding why, why 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 was it uncomfortable
1: so, like, apparently there was, like, a cooking segment before he came on or something. Okay. And he comes on and, like, how you doing? He's, like, good. He's, like, I'd like to take you out for it. it was a female uh, of course. co-host. Of
0: course. Of course. He's,
1: like, I'd like to take you out for dinner, get you sloshed up and have a good time. And it's, like, oh, <sighs> yeah. And then, like, then they're, like, oh, they just had a cooking segment. And he's, like, I don't know what y'all are cooking, but that, that smelled kind of weird. And she's, like, oh, well, do you cook evil? And he's, like, well, I believe I've never cooked a meal in my entire life. I believe uh, uh, cooking is a woman's work and a woman's place is in the oh. kitchen. And
2: oh, I was no. Like, I,
1: I cannot watch this anymore. Like, this is I, way I, too
0: hard to watch. I, I will say evil is not as southern as you are making him out to be in inflection. I know. But <laughs> That's
1: how I everybody. I'm so bad at accents. And I, I <laughs> yeah. like anybody rural, that's my my generic accent. And he,
0: yeah, he's from Montana. So, you know. It is weird because like he was big into family man shit. Like, the another quote I found was him talking about movies. And he's like, and I'm going to read this whole quote. It's amazing. It's like, the crap they turn out, including the company that I'm associated with, Warner Brothers. I wouldn't take my kids to see 50% of the bullshit they've made in the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. And here's the best part. I'm talking about pixels like, uh, how do you say it? The Rexorcist? I wouldn't take my kid to see that picture. Yes, evil, you should not take your children to see The Exorcist. No matter how you pronounce it, it's not for kids. And as we all know, Evil Knievel is for the children. So,
1: yeah, I mean, like, yeah, obviously, like, Evil Knievel reached a height of popularity similar to, like, in this, even in the same kind of time period, like, where Kiss surpassed rock and roll. And became mm-hmm. cartoon characters that sold out, and like the kind, I think the same thing happened with Evil Knievel in the seventies. It's like he went past just being a stunt man, and he became this cartoon character that sold action figures. Well, right? He's
0: like one of those real life he- superheroes, right? And as a kid, that's awesome. He's like he's like Mister T, or or Kiss, or like Sergeant Slaughter yeah you know, like there are these real quote unquote real people who are just heroes, and those are pretty few and far between. and I could like like i when I was a kid, i i was I was born after he retired, and I still thought he was awesome, so you know i i mean mean, even like i
1: grew up in the 90s and and i even was aware of who he was and the whole stuntman persona of evil knievel
0: kids i mean kids love monster trucks you know and like kids love motocross and it's just the kind of thing that little little kids eat up and that you can tell this movie's made for kids because you've you've alluded to it what is the first scene in this movie so this, I
1: was like sitting here like, okay, what's going on? He sneaks, it's, I thought it was a single kid's bedroom at first. This is even that creepier. Evil kid, that he sneaks into a bedroom in the middle of the night, wakes a kid up by slapping him in the face, um, and, <laughs> and gives him evil Knievel action <laughs> figures. And I was like, what the fuck? And then... It's like then it like the camera pans out and you realize he's in like an orphanarium or like something. Orphanage. And he's giving,
0: orphanage. Yeah. Orph- orphanarium?
1: He, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I went to community college. Um,
0: <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. He's in
1: an orphanage. Yeah, that's the word. He's in an <laughs> orphanage give, and he's giving kids all these toys and it's in the middle of the night and it, in a, ra- in a really long roundabout way, is it was like this was the only time he could do it, and evil can evil. He he, his core values are he's anti-drug, mm-hmm. he and he stands by his word, and I can't remember the other one, and and so like he he told the nun like oh well I told the kids I'd come see them and like but I have a stunt tomorrow or something so I had
0: to do it now. This like doesn't one of fuck? the kids like show he can walk now because evil's there? Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's like evil. I I watched you walk away from an accident, and guess what? I can walk now. And this kid's like walking on his plaster cast. It's like that can't be good for it. Come on, you're gonna break the cast.
0: <laughs> but... Yes, and so like that that sets the tone for the whole. For, like his character is this like he's he's Davis. Jesus.
1: Just, Like, not being super aware of evil Knievel stunts and things, this movie gave me the impression that he missed most of his jumps. Yeah, and I don't know I if don't, that's yeah. true, but he misses more jumps in this movie than he lands, right? Like,
0: yeah, I feel like he was famous for it almost, like, he was famous for like missing and crashing like i'm on his wikipedia page now i'm going to do a fine for the word crash <laughs> <laughs> 25 matches <laughs> yeah, okay so list it's- here's a list of his jumps let's see outcome successful successful missed jump successful landed short landed fell off landing so he made a lot of them but i feel like the the crashes were, sh- were so spectacular that
1: well it's like yeah it's like going to a hockey game and hoping to see people fight you know or going to nascar and hoping that it's like that kind of thing where it's like it became part of it
0: yeah and it has so like the caesar's palace one that's when he was in the hospital for 30 days he broke his ribs crushed his pelvis broke a hip another one the carson city jump broken shoulder broken hip another one broken collarbone fractured vertebrae Cracked vertebrae, broken hand, broken shoulder, broken hand, broken ankle, bruised ribs, broken he broke his collarbone a lot. And that and, adds up.
1: Which actually leads me to 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 a point of is he really a stunt man? <laughs> like or is he daredevil. just a guy he's dumb a daredevil. enough? <laughs> is he a guy dumb enough to sit on a motorcycle and twist the throttle as hard as he can? Yeah. Because yeah, like, he's, he's... I was watching in one of those Johnny Knoxville interviews. He was saying it's not like they didn't do any science or anything for these jumps. He literally, I guess, had a guy who stood at the end of the ramp, and if he felt like evil was going fast enough, he would give him the thumbs up. That was their safety. Kind of, he played it by ear.
0: It really reminded me of Matt Hoffman, the the. Is he a BMX bike guy? A BMX guy, and he was the one who built that ramp in his backyard to get really high and like. Like, ruptured rubs with his spleen. You know, he, 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 yeah, there was no science there. So I would not call him a stuntman. He's a daredevil. You know, yeah, that and, makes sense. And d- some daredevils, like, y- the whole, like, shooting yourself out of a cannon thing, there's science there. You know, the science might be putting a beanbag in first and, you know, figuring <laughs> it out, but it's still science. Like, the later jumps, like, when I was reading about them, like, the jump, the shark jump, that was more scientific. Like, they, they measured it. They did. Phys- they, he hired people to help him do this stuff, but the accident had nothing to do with that. He, he crashed because, like, he skidded out, and yeah, yeah. So, like, he was getting there at some point, and I feel like if he hadn't hurt himself more earlier in his career, he might have kept going with more like scientifically sound. Stunts, but that didn't work out. You know,
1: I don't think he had that kind of patience.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think he had that kind of patience. And like this, like I said, this movie was near the end of his heyday. As as we said, he got there was a problem. He beat up a promoter not too soon after this film came out. Some people blame that for the film bombing, but the movie came out in June. That happened in September, so the movie was gone. Like by the time he did that, but the movie. Yeah, movie cost five million dollars to make, made two point four million. Ooh, uh, rough. Day of the Animals, a Leslie Nielsen movie about animals taking over the world, in which a bear chested Leslie Nielsen wrestles a bear, came out the same year. That made more money than this. <laughs> what? I do. I do recommend Day of the Animals. Um, if you can get it for you know almost no money, it's 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 a good bad movie. But yeah, this movie bombed. The critics, most critics hated it. I found one this person, Daniel Ruth for the Tampa Tribune. He said e- Knievel's about as exciting as an oil change. Uh, Tom <laughs> Setzer from the Abilene Reporter News said a monument to one man's classic egotism and also a monumental bore. Yeah, yeah. For a movie I about. Agree. Stunt, yeah, for a movie about stunts, it's pretty boring, and that's the worst thing I can say about it. I enjoyed watching it the first time because it was stupid, but yeah. watching it again for this podcast, I hated myself, so I got no one to blame. you know. It's, I, it's, I, I, I was
1: going to say it's funny, too. It's a stunt man doing stunt movies or whatever and i'm not even sure i'm suspicious of the stunts that he did in the movie like he did none when 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 he drove onto the top of the bus or whatever with his motorcycle i'm i don't think that really happened so, in
0: any regard so this movie has a lot of if if you know how to look for a composite shot this movie has a lot like the of
1: foreground background kind of thing. Like,
0: yeah, that's like, like a blue screen type, like, like what you, it's a double exposure. Right. And so, yeah, like, so there are, we're going to get into some spoilers here. If you really want to watch the movie, watch the movie, but it doesn't matter that much. There are crowd. If you look at the crowd shots of the stadium, that's a composite shot. They put the people in later. You can see the crowd shaking. and the rest of the screen isn't one of the jumps is like that too i think the one with the fire the fire is not really there and there's another one the last jump where he jumps on a moving truck if you watch the everything below the tunnel is a composite because the second the wheel gets one frame above that it cuts away
1: yeah i that's exactly what i was thinking i'm like So like that background does not look like the same space as the foreground, no. and then they cut really quickly to him on top of a of, of a truck with a motorcycle.
0: yeah, and and when when Marjo steals his bike and it's a rigged bike that's going to explode and kill evil, but Marjo's all hopped up on cocaine and takes it. It's a, whole, it's a very, very forced plot point. Um, that crash is evil can evil. So, when it cuts away, the film stock is different. And you can tell it's stock footage. And so, instead of having a stunt man, they just use old footage. Evil Knievel breaking his goddamn head. <laughs> yeah, he's like, but tumbling. Evel, end over but Evil Knievel's is a much bigger man than Marjo Joe Gortner. And it looks strange. Like, when it cuts back, when it cuts back, also the grass is a different color. <laughs> like, it's all kinds of. It's so very, bad it's a very poorly put together film top to bottom you know it's the kind of thing that i find fascinating because it's an ego it's a vanity project obviously and you don't get i was the last major vanity pro, vanity project bomb i can think of is mariah carey's glitter i have not you seen don't, that don't you don't get these kinds of <laughs> movies that much anymore. Like you don't, or like when Howie Long tried to be an action star, right? With Firestorm or these kinds of things. You don't get a lot of these movies these days where non-actors, like, you know what? <laughs> I got an yeah. idea. The, the Brian, <laughs> yeah. Bosworth, the Brian Bosworths of, of, of uh, are, the world have aren't doing that now. I think wrestlers still do it, but they can do it. Like if anyone can do it, it's a wrestler but like you don't see act you don't see singers or other people try to cross that plane anymore and i think it's probably for the best
1: yeah i think it's like probably a lot of studios are like no that's been tried don't bother <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, I you know i would see i mean obviously it's not a good film but if if you do want some good 70s cheese like it's some good 70s cheese <laughs> And That's
1: exactly what it. It's like all seventies cheese, like yeah. And I was confused by so much. Like, if you're ready to like just walk away scratching your head, like, what did I just watch?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's, 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 it's fun for that. If you live in a place where everyone's vaccinated and you want to get together and watch a bad movie again, you can do. It's a good pick because it's the kind of movie you can talk over and make fun of and not miss anything. <laughs>
1: yeah no it doesn't doesn't matter that like yeah it's funny because like i warned my girlfriend i was like no like i'm telling you i don't i haven't seen this movie but i really don't think you want to (laughs) and she's like no it's fine i'll just like sit on my phone or whatever and she made it like half an hour before she couldn't even be in the same room as the movie like had the bail
0: i do like on twitter you sent me a direct message at um let me find it because this was great you sent me a a a, a direct message at 11 16 a.m probably my time my time that says lol what the fuck is this movie is he santa claus and then yeah one hour and 40 minutes later because this movie is one hour and 46 minutes long you said lol that movie was rough
1: <laughs> yeah that's exact. <laughs> it's putting it some way
0: and i, I yeah, feel like no. that 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 little uh exchange kind of uh, sums it up the best. But I think we can I don't have anything else to say about Viva Knievel. Like I said, if you want to see a good, bad movie, you can you can do better, but you can't you can do worse. But it's a good one to watch with friends. It's stupid. And it is definitely the kind of movie they don't make anymore and a, a kind of a good time capsule of the seventies the type of seventies stuff your parents want to forget.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 seventies cheese and it's like I mean, really, this is a lot of movies of the era. It, like mm-hmm. this movie actually is, is very similar to a lot of them. It just does it really bad. Yes. Um, But, you know, if it's like, if you're watching it from a cultural point of view of like, you know, as a study of an anthropological study of human culture in America in the 1970s, you know, it's worth it for
0: science. And if you're watching it as a gay man who wants to see some pretty amazing fabric choices that might not work as a suit, but if you're looking for a new pair of curtains, um, <laughs> then also, I recommend it. But I think that will do it. <laughs> uh, Elliot, I, I want apologize you to, well
1: real quick though, I want you to clarify as the as uh, you're a journalism major, right?
0: I, I have um, a degree not a major. I am a journalism graduate. I have a degree in journalism, yes,
1: yes, so you. You would at least know. I'm curious if there, even in the 70s, was a news agency out there that would direct fly a photographer in a helicopter to an event, landing at the event, not a local airport. Is there any news agency that would have spent that kind of money on a single photographer back in the 70s?
0: In a fucking heartbeat. Really? Um, dude, like the the amount of money that was in journalism back and up until the internet it would blow your mind like you ask ask Jeremy about what the pay rates were at one up like our friend Jeremy <laughs> I don't think used, I don't think
1: it's polite he, to ask people well, no, those kinds of things
0: he he's talked about it he's talked about it like that's yeah, just an example
1: The world has changed a lot in that, yeah. The
0: world has changed a lot. The budgets have changed a lot. Like, we, I, on this podcast, my friend Matt and I talked about Perfect, the John Travolta uh, romantic drama of where he plays a Rolling Stone reporter investigating the uh, gym industry, the aerobics industry. And Rolling and that's based on a true story. And Rolling Stone just flew that dude back and forth to LA like 8,000 times to write about a goddamn gym. So, wow. Like the money like law. yeah, Lauren Hunton's character flies in on a helicopter just to take photos of evil Knievel crashing. And the amount of money in journalism back then, like as a failed as a kind of failed journalist who could like it bums me out, man. I could yeah, you know, I graduated fifteen years too late <laughs> yeah. to get into that. Yeah. But now that I'm depressed, we'll wrap, we'll wrap this up. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: Sorry. I just, it was on my mind and I could not stop thinking about it. And oh, no. And now yeah. I'm surprised by the outcome. I was like, I because I just sat there. I'm like, a helicopter to the event? Really?
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah. Without, if she was writing for Time or Rolling Stone or Newsweek or or even like US News and World Report. Yeah. in a met dude. And listen. Wow. But. Anyway, on that depressing note, um thanks everyone to listening to this one. Uh I again apologize to Elliot for subjecting him to it. Uh,
1: <laughs> I was Elliot I was happy to be a, a crash test dummy for hey, for I, this movie.
0: I subjected you to on, on Alexander's Right Time Band, I subject I subjected you to Aza's album. So uh I would rather watch this movie. I would I don't know how long Aza's first album is, but I would rather watch this movie for the same amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> then yeah listen to asia's oh, first man, album again so or gtr <laughs> or any of that 80s prog but anyway as i said you can find elliot out on alexander's ragtime band where else can they find you on the internet
1: i am on twitter as uh the miggy sphinx um that's m-a-m-i-g-h-y sphinx mm-hmm. uh, actually on instagram now too under the same handle uh and i'm okay. i'm fat man do on soundcloud uh the one from america
0: okay there's, a, the
1: there's another fat man do out there but you know we'll see who can take the brand to a further place first yeah and the good winner luck. gets I, the name
0: i believe in you but yeah, like I said, you can find me on Alexander's Right Time Band with Elliot and Jeremy Parrish. But also, as always, you can find me at com and on Twitter at Lost Turntable. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Cinema Oblivion.